I tell you what today's date is and then tell you what the expected weather over the next 24 to 48 hours will be, you might just smack yourself in the face. I'm serious. Get to that in a minute. Also, there's going to be a nice little chunk focused on how you can try to plan every aspect of your life out. And uh, it still just uh, might throw you a curve that you were not expecting. And you have to adjust and learn to adjust. So, there's going to be all that. And yes, even some more Donald Trump news coming up. Thanks for tuning in. And tighten your seatbelt because this is FritzCast. It's Monday, March 13th, 2017. How is everybody doing today? It is 11.20 a.m. and I have a beer in my hand. Why? Because I'm allowed to. It's my day off. I can drink whenever I want to. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Listen to some music and you would know facts. So I'm enjoying a yingling lager. By America's oldest brewery, DG Yingling and Sun Incorporated, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Not an advertisement, just a recommendation. But yeah, it's 11 a.m., and I'm starting uh, the podcast. I usually record the podcast first thing in the morning. And the reason I didn't today is uh, a, cu- a couple of reasons, a couple facets. Let me explain something to you. Over the past week, my uh, my wife's Buick Rendezvous, the, uh, the 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 heralded Buick Rendezvous that we bought, used 2005 Buick Rendezvous. It's like dead. <laughs> it's like super dead. Uh, I think it has a blown head gasket. Uh, the thing will not suck in coolant and stay at a low temperature. That that engine overheats pretty much. 10, 10 minutes into driving or so, and then it's off and on, and sometimes the air bubble passes, and sometimes it doesn't, and we've done everything we can do to it. We had a friend uh, spend a considerable amount of time with us fixing it up, and then it still had the problem, and, and my wife's uncle looked at it, and he said, oh, you might just want to look at getting a new car. And uh, that's where we're at with it. Uh, this evening... My wife and I will be going to a dealership that my family frequents and gets leases from and pretty much are going to lease a vehicle. First time I'm ever leasing a vehicle. Don't know how I feel about it yet, but I did learn some things. I mean, you know, my mother, for example, has leased vehicles for the past couple of years from, from the dealership we're looking at going to. She's had positive experience with it. Uh, in fact, I have some friends who've done it and had positive experience with it. I guess it really just depends on what your needs are and what you want to do with it. Um, we basically need something that we can have a cheap car payment on <laughs> and is fully covered and brand new and not going to freaking die when I'm driving it to work. Uh, it's not going to die when you're driving it in the snow. More on the snow in a minute, but it, it's it's 
it's a little frustrating. Like, it's exciting. We'll be getting a new vehicle. It's the first time that we'll be putting an investment into a 2017, you know, vehicle or, or vehicle that's brand new to us with, with little to no mileage on it with the 10-year warranties and the five-year bumper-to-bumper and all that jazz. But it sucks because we had all this tax return money, which we could, I mean, I could, could dive into how tax return money isn't uh, isn't something that should be smiled at because it's just money that the government overtook from you. Or whatnot. But that's beside the point. Let's not get into a ranting mode. We had all this all this uh, money, all this tax return money set aside with a pretty clear plan in place for wiping out uh, all our outstanding small debt by the end of the year. And by outstanding small debt, I mean like your credit card debt, you know, things like that. The house, huh? That's that's gonna be take a while to get paid off. Student loans, ha! It's gonna take even longer to get paid off. I'll probably be dead by the time we're ready to start paying off student loans. That's just the the nature of the beast right now. But uh, to get rid of all the small outstand outstanding debt, um, that would have been considerable. And and we're actually. Mocking up the new numbers, we're still on a good pace to eliminate it. As to eliminate Rogers, funny crimes with eliminate. We're getting ready to eliminate it anyway. But it's just the fact that you you can painstakingly plan out every aspect of your life. And I've slowly come to learn this. No matter how how meticulous you do it, no matter how hard you try to stick to it, no matter how focused you become, something, and I apologize for my dogs barking in the background, it's probably the mailman dropping off the mail, but something's going to pop up and totally ruin your whole original plan. And it sucks. But that's life. Life will throw you Every curveball imaginable, and it's mostly about how you tackle it and handle that situation and move forward from there. So, let's look on the bright side. New car! Downside, it's my wife's car, so I will not be driving it that much. Only occasionally. Boo! That's what I get for turning over my Buick Century into a Kia Soul don't ask me why. I actually like the Soul. Okay, get uh, yeah, whatever. I'm a nerd. Whatever. It's a boxy car. I like it. Don't talk to me. Don't crack a hamster joke. I hate them. They're stupid. They're unoriginal. They're not even funny. Okay. I like my Kia Soul. I wish it was a newer edition. I don't. Mine's a 2011. But, uh, you know, I got some $9,000 left to pay on it, so. I'm gonna be stuck with it for a while. And then I'm gonna get a lease if this lease thing works out, and I'm gonna get a brand new car. So joke's on her, because I'll have, like, a 2020 car. And she'll have a 2017 car, and I can go... (laughs) Yeah! Cash me outside, how about that? 
Oh, God. You know what? I, I just realized, too. We never talked about that girl in this program, and I'm going to continue that streak of not talking about her, mentioning her name, her bodyguards, or how much money she's making. Not going to lower myself. The new car, we're hoping to be a 2017 Kia Sorento, hopefully with all-wheel drive. Why with all-wheel drive? Because, for example, I mentioned about how wacky weather's happening. We, I talked last week about bipolar Delaware weather, and it's the same story this week. It has been a constant 30-some degrees for the past four or five days, and now they're calling for snow. They're calling for it's March thirteenth. March thirteenth. Calling for snow, and they're calling for significant snow. And let me tell you something: a Kia Soul does not traverse snow very well. I know. I was shocked too. I mean, come on, right? My Buick Century handled snow better than the Kia Soul did. Probably because the Buick Century is a boat. And the Kia Soul is a RC car for hamsters. Oh my god, that's the mailman right there. And I'm wondering, should I cut out and record over it? I'm not going to do that. But I am going to go beat my dogs up. Not for real. Not for real, but I'm going to go yell at them. So, give me a moment. Hear that? Silence. They're fine. I didn't kill them. I didn't even yell at them. I just opened the door and looked at them, and they're all like, sorry, Dad. But there was an intruder, and he was putting stuff in the box, and we don't like that. Whatever. So where was I? Oh, yeah, so we're hoping to get all-wheel drive because there's supposed to be snow. There's supposed to be snow coming up uh, tonight slash tomorrow. Mind you, I'm off today and I'm off tomorrow. But still, there's going to be snow. It's March 13th. Now, uh, all these weather updates I'm about to give you come from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's a mouthful. I actually did have to like Google it to get the name of it because I was going to screw it up. I did screw it up talking about it the first go around. Yeah, I cut and paste and record sometimes. It, it happens. This is what they're calling for on their app from my phone. They say, snow mainly after 11 p.m. tonight. It could be heavy at times. The low will be around 29, blustery with a northeast wind of... 9 to 14 miles per hour, increasing to 15 to 20 miles per hour after midnight. Chance of precipitation is 90%. New snow accumulation of 3 to 7 inches possible. Tuesday, March 14th, snow, mainly before 2 p.m. The snow could be heavy at times. High near 33, windy with a northeast wind, 21 to 28 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 39 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation, 90%. New snow accumulation of 4 to 8 inches possible. Then into the night, maybe some snow, maybe some more snow, it's whatever. And then, uh, this is like the first time ever that by the weekend it won't be 60 again. By, by Sunday they're calling for a high of near 45 degrees. But that's the thing, they're calling for a total of 6 to 12 inches of snow. 
There's no business like snow business. Welcome to Delaware. It was 60 degrees all the week before last, and now it's getting ready to snow. And what a time, mind you, what a time in an all-wheel drive rated vehicle in the, in the Buick Rendezvous. What, what, what a convenient time to just, you know, blow a head gasket and overheat all the time. What a time for you to crap out. And for those of you out there saying, well, why don't you just fix it? Yeah, I could fix it. It's dumping a lot of money into a car that they stopped making like 10 years ago. Which means, and this was something that I learned, which means they are now outside of the law. They're only required by law to manufacture parts for a car they discontinue for 10 years. After 10 years, they're no longer legally obligated to make parts for a car that they discontinued. Which, I mean, you know, makes sense. They discontinued the car. But that puts you in a bind. It puts you in a bind of, huh, do I keep this hunk of junk, keep dumping money into it to keep it afloat, or do I just say, screw this and go get a lease? So before people are like, wow, this guy's being real frivolous right now. Not really. <laughs> not really. I was actually relieved when they said the car was a pile of trash that's not worth uh, resurrecting anymore. Because now I'm like, well, I gotta do it. I gotta go buy a new vehicle. I, I have to. So why not buy used? I already bought used. With, with used, unless you are a, a mechanic yourself. Or have lots of friends, which I do. Uh, that you can bug about it and learn some things about mechanic and and, and diagnosing problems and fixing your car. Uh, it, you're taking a gamble. You're taking a gamble because your car just might. <laughs> at least if my if if, a, if at least if the new car goes, <laughs> and then it's warranty, warranty baby. Look, ten year warranty. Engine crapped out. Help me out. Fix the damn thing. Perfect. It's perfect. This leasing thing has opened up a whole just new world. A whole new world. I'm not going to sing anymore because I can't. So with that being said, when I'm done the podcast, I'm immediately going outside into the freezing cold weather. It's like 30 degrees right now, but it's sunny. Um, I'm going out into the freezing cold weather to clean out the Buick of all our personal belongings and make it look somewhat presentable. Seeing if the place that we are going to get the lease from wants to, you know, throw us a bone, give us some money for it, which would be great, which would be great. Life throws you curves, yet you learn to swerve. Is that what Rascal Flatts sings? I don't even know. You're probably like, aren't you a metalhead and you're quoting Rascal Flatts? You're damn right I am. Because I can like a variety of music. It doesn't have to be limited to one genre. It's funny too. Over the over the course of the weekend, uh, I we I ended up buying a bike. I bought a bicycle, not a motorcycle. So like I've been saying, oh, I've gone biking today, and people were like, oh, you got a motorcycle? No, I'm not that cool. I'm, I'm no, I'm really nerdy though. I got a mountain bike. I got a Kent mountain bike. And uh, here's the thing with here's the thing with the bike, and I know I say here's the thing a lot. I just realized it in my head. I was like, you say here's the thing a lot. Uh, growing up, I was a fat kid, and I by, by fat kid I mean fat pudgy little bastard of a kid. 
I never rode a bike. Never did. I had a bike with training wheels. I remember having a bike with training wheels when I was a wee lad. Still in, oh, I don't know if I was in diapers or whatever, but I was a wee lad. And I had training wheels and, you know, that I could ride. Yeah, I could ride that. Taking training wheels off and balancing on a bike was not a thing for me growing up. So I never rode a bike. Never learned how to do it. Tried it in the past and and hasn't had good results. So why did I end up buying a bike from Walmart, you say? I am a significantly less fat, pudgy person right now. Significantly less. However, I still have work and I still need to do exercise and all that. So I thought, you know, a mountain bike... Something that can go off-road but can cruise down the street if I want to. Probably will be a good option. Probably be a healthy habit to pick up now that I'm done schooling and I have extra time opened up where I'm not worried about meeting a deadline or something of that nature. We bought these bikes and we get home and we bought them late at night. We bought them at like 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night and... We just had the time change. We jumped ahead an hour, so now it's going to start getting lighter. But it was, you know, pitch dark. And I hop on this bike when we get home, and I'm just going up and down the street, perfectly fine and balanced and all that. I bought a bike that was rated for somebody that was six foot or taller. I'm six foot two. And uh, I had a much better time and experience on this bike for the short time that I've had it than I've ever had on a bike ever. It's something that I'm finding really fun to do. Hop on the bike, go around the corner. Now, my legs can't handle it right now. I can't go for a very long time on a bike, but I'm hopeful that I'm developing a healthy habit. So, props to me. Yay to me. Yay to me for for healthy habits and, and exploring new things. I love riding this bike, except I grip the handlebars like they're death bars because... If I'm going to die, I feel like if I'm going to get thrown off the bike, holding onto the bike is going to help me out. As if it's going to stop me from flipping onto the ground, scraping up my knees and elbows and whatever. And and especially my face. My face is probably one of my top four or five qualities in myself. I'm vain. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I hold on to the handlebars. I, I, death grip, grip, I death grip the handlebars, but like I know how to stop. I know how to brake. And I don't do it the improper way where you get thrown off the bike or anything. But it'll it'll come. It's because it's new to me and doing it. So there's a learning curve, right? That being said, I was starting the podcast so late today because... Uh, so I had to drop off wife face to work. And immediately following that, I went to Panera Bread here. And I sat through the senator state senator of District 7, Anthony Del Colo, and his uh, coffee constituency meeting at, uh, at Panera Bread. And this is, he does it every month, comes out and meets his constituents and talks about uh, what's going on and briefs people what's going on. And I attend these now. This is just, it's second nature. I went to his meeting last month. And it was very informative, and, and it was it was interesting interacting and talking with a representative that I helped get elected to hear what was going on. You know, transparency in the government, what's going on, why things are the way they are, what battles are we fighting in the coming months, that, that type of thing. And then I had a one-on-one sit-down with him, which was 
amazing. It was eye-opening experience of being involved uh, in your local politics, even on a uh, even on a slight level, because it's not like I go to every rep. It's not like I talk to my state senators, Chris Coons or Tom Carper. I, I part of me feels like it would be useless endeavors. I don't think they see eye to eye with me or care what I have to say. But when I sit down with Anthony Del Colo, that's a guy who I feel like is fighting for me, is hearing me out, is taking heed to suggestions and ideas and thoughts and things of that nature. I went to his his coffee meeting today, and he was meeting with somebody else from the Department of Corrections. He's met with a lot of us in light of what happened on February 1st with the death of uh, Sergeant Stephen Floyd, the murder of Sergeant Stephen Floyd. And immediately following that meeting, he was meeting with somebody from the Department of Corrections who walked into the meeting right around... uh, uh, 8.50-ish, and Del Colo had it slotted to talk with him from, from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I think. And I sat in on, on their one-on-one conversation, and we all kind of just went back and forth and, and had these these this, this sit-down talk about it. And the, part of the reason that is, and you might hear me, I might not say it a lot, because it's a huge issue that's going on, and uh, there's going to have to be a lot of work done, but I'm starting to realize that it's important for me to give my stance and put it out there so that people can hear it. And that is the, the Department of Correction here in Delaware. Ever since the, the death, the, ever since the slaying, the murder, the killing of Sergeant Stephen Floyd, the, the local news here has been split 50-50 almost, trying to promote changes in the Department of Correction, but at what aspect, at what level. All of us working in the Department of Correction, we're, we're a little, to say, pissed off would be putting it a little too lightly, I think. There's not a lot of information that, that has been released since February 1st. Everybody should everybody should know this listening. If you're interested in the case, it's local. It hits close to home, close to my heart, because you're talking about a profession that I'm in. You're talking about the way, what I do for a living right now. How I make my money right now. There hasn't been a lot of information since, uh, since the February 1st incident was diffused. And now there's a lot of silence as the investigations are going on, and people can't comment on it during open investigations, but... The fact of the matter is the Department of Correction needs a lot of changes. A lot of changes. And it's got kind of scattered-brained leadership right now. And it's hard because I'm a correctional professional. You know, I'm a correctional sergeant. That's my expertise right now. I've been doing this job for five years. I'm no, I'm no, you know, nobody I think can really encompass fully uh, a vast encyclopedia of knowledge. But in terms of, I'm a sergeant at five years. People on my shift have less than five years. Most of them have less than three years under their belt. And I'm trying to be an effective leader in my own right. 
in in a chaotic world that is corrections trying to be a, a leader in in first off everybody should know i don't nobody goes in nobody's in this job to go pick on offenders or inmates whatever you want to call them I don't go in the job looking to pick on inmates. I literally go in knowing I have a job to do, knowing that there's tasks to be done, and knowing that I want everybody in there safe. You know, my own bottom and everybody else's bottoms included. I'm trying to be politically correct in my phraseology here. Trying not to cuss up a storm and, and, and all this other bull jazz. Most everybody just wants it to be safe. That's the name of the game when you're incarcerating people. However, the people that you're incarcerating are, are a jumble of different things. You might have people in there with misdemeanors. You might have people in there with felonies. You need to separate them out. You need to look over the fact that you have murderers and rapists in there, but you also have petty thefts and nonviolent, stupid, dumb crimes as well. Everybody needs to pay their due for their crime, and you do that through time. That's the punishment. Um, I always try to phrase it to people this way. Imagine that you work in a chaotic world where you might be looking at a murderer. Somebody who killed somebody. And they're locked up for that. Maybe they have a life sentence. Maybe they have a 25-year-to-life sentence. You don't know. You're not supposed to know. Anyway. What do you say to the guy who's a murderer or a rapist or just a general all-around lousy human being? What do you say to that guy when they're locked up behind bars and they could care less about Anybody else? What do you do for them? What do you really do for them? And that's a tough question when you ask it because most people don't think about it. Because most people don't deal with it. And I'm sorry. But for all you people who say lock them up and throw away the key so that nobody has to worry about them, you need to realize... That somebody has to worry about them. At the end of the day, somebody has to worry about them. And those are people like me, who didn't sign up on the line to work in a prison because they thought it'd be a fun idea. We did it because we were whatever jobs we were in and whatever our life situation at the time, along came a job that was... Guaranteed steady hours. Guaranteed steady pay. Although I will say the pay is on the lackluster lower end of the spectrum. I do not get paid a lot for my job. Considering that a man was killed in an uprising. I think you would look at my salary and go, you are drastically underpaid. But that's my opinion. The point is that most people that take the job, they don't take it to get 
power hungry behind a badge because that badge that I wear doesn't carry a lot of weight to it. Not right now, at least it does not. We're people trying to do a job and go home. And most importantly, make sure everybody stays intact. The, the, the way they entered that building is the way that they leave that building. And I wish I could say that the problem was just the pay or just the training or just the leadership. I wish I could just say it was just one of those things. But it's all of those things. It's all of those things and more. It's all those things and it ties in the criminal justice reform, which does need to be done because stupid little knuckleheads I don't think need to be in my prison. I really don't think that petty stupid little crimes and failure to pay citation and all this other stupid little, all, all this minuscule stuff it's very debatable, and I, I, I argue vehemently in favor of those offenders that they shouldn't be in my building. My building should be rapists, murderers, your general pieces of crap. Because most of society agrees that people who rape people, people who murder people, people who get into strong-armed robbery people who have that kind of threatening type of behavior, most people agree that they're pieces of crap. And mind you, not, not one bit of this is looking at how we're treating them. At the end of the day, you have to treat people with at least the lowest common denominator of they're a human being. I think one of the hardest things in my job one of the hardest aspects that a lot of people can't do is the ability to look a murderer in the face or a rapist in the face and at least pay them the respect that they are a human being because many people would argue they don't deserve that respect anymore. I'm not out to get anybody. I'm not out to make their life a living hell. I'm not there to enact corporal punishment. I'm literally there to make sure the safety and security of the building and everybody in it is maintained. That's it. At the end of the day, I don't care about what their charge is. I don't care about what programs we're offering for them. That's all stuff that, that needs to be encompassed in, in the criminal justice reform, rehabilitation, and things of that nature. Absolutely. And I don't care about any of that because my job at the end of the day is safety and security. And guess what doesn't happen when you don't have safety and security as a priority and you don't have enough staffing to carry those out. When you don't have enough staffing and you don't have enough safety and security, these little rehabilitation programs that you want going on won't go on because they can't go on. My whole point and purpose is Anthony Del Colo, at least, seems to be a guy pretty passionate of not wanting to settle because the state went through something like this before back in 2004. And it, it was a hostage situation. A counselor was abducted and raped repeatedly throughout the day. Happened in 2004. What happened in 2017? 
Staff members were taken hostage, tortured, and one of them was killed. One of them was executed. So Anthony Del Colo is somebody that I can say he's a fighter. He wants change. It's not just about the money or the pay. It is about the resources. It is about criminal justice reform. It is about training. It is about reallocation of money. It is about leadership. It's about so many different things. And it's such a complex, complex case. I urge you to go online and read what you can read about it going through but it was a good meeting with him with the lieutenant from the training program that came and sat down with him he extended me to stay for the meeting just because of the subject matter and I did and it was another informative over hour long sit down uh, of just talking and everybody should realize and everybody should want to do that with their representatives and representatives should want to be open to talk to their constituents about what is going on in their localities okay federal government from the top doesn't understand what's going on in your state or your community at all and that is part of the reason why I want to suppress federal government power So I want to urge people out there, I want to urge people listening, if you've never sat down and tried to reach out to your representatives, whether it's email, whether it's phone, uh, you know, I've been privy enough to have one-on-one conversations with State Senator Anthony Del Colo, who I really, really like now. I can't stress enough that just because he talks to me, just because he would take time out of his day to answer an email from me at this point or a text message at this point. There might be a time where he's going to vote a way that I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm not going to hate the man for it because he could at least sit down and convey why he's voting against something or for something. And it really makes me wonder if therein lies the key to coming together and stripping ourselves of being partisan. If that's what strips and eats away at the at the divisive play that goes on in politics. Really makes me wonder why there's so much divide. And with that being said, I've got to switch focus up to the health care bill that uh, on a national level now, speaking on a national front, the Republican Party comes out and reveals the American Health Care Act, the AH. CA. And a lot of the things that the Republicans were criticizing and complaining about with Obamacare or the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, for those that are out there that want it to be proper, even though President Obama did accept the Obamacare dubbing of everything, and they're dubbing this thing Trump Care now. There's lots of uh, comparisons in there. There's, there's 
like the ACA, had an individual mandate. You had to get health insurance. If not, you're paying a penalty or a fine. The Republicans take that away. Okay, they strip that out of the AHCA. They take it out of their bill. But they put in stipulations and, and such things of that nature where if you go 60 days without coverage and then you try to get coverage, you pay a 30% penalty fee because you didn't have health care. Which, at that point, what's the difference? A mandate's a mandate. If by a, just another name or just another venue or avenue. Okay, Rand Paul actively caused this calls this bill Obamacare light. All right, Thomas Massey has called the health care bill, quote, a stinking pile of garbage. Rand Paul has gone on several outlets saying that conservatives are withholding their vote, but they need support from constituents. Republicans say the premiums are going to spike even more once you repeal it altogether. Well, that's why you replace it. And what you replace it with are market reforms. Okay. We get rid of the mandates, which I think Paul Ryan would agree with. You expand health savings accounts, and then you expand health care associations. These associations sure. are like co-ops or buying pools. All great ideas, but House Republicans also tell me that you can't get to 60 votes with that. So it's well, not going to go anywhere. I, you know, I can't be blamed if somebody won't vote for something. It's, still, it's not a bad idea. If but how do you bring Democrats in as their point well, to get to 60 votes? Well, we have to convince people that it's a good idea, and we bring it forward. But the problem is, is they've brought forward things that are very controversial and that conservatives don't like. Conservatives hate their bill. I promise you, Obamacare light, dead on arrival. They might as well just start over. You're hearing okay. other voices. I'm not the only voice saying this. And so what they should do is clean it up, get rid of the Obamacare light stuff, get rid sure. of the taxes, the subsidies, the mandates, the bailouts, pushed you and on. just do repeal. What, and so the speaker said, however, you're making a binary choice, Senator. <laughs> if you don't do this, oh, you're not really following through on the promise to repeal and replace Obama. Let me translate what it means. When someone tells you you have a binary choice, yeah. they're telling you take it or leave it. The speaker needs did, to yeah. the speaker needs to like bring people into the room, conservatives, and needs to hear what we want. We are withholding our vote. This is a message for the speaker. We are withholding our vote. Hmm. We want a seat at the table, and it's not a binary choice. If we do not understand why we're in a death spiral with Obamacare, we can't fix it. The reason we're in a death spiral is we're telling people you can buy insurance after you get sick. So guess what? Yeah. People are waiting to buy it until after they get sick. And that still happens after Paul so Ryan's question. He doesn't fix that but problem the vice at all. President now, it was clippings from Rand Paul on Tucker Carlson tonight. I don't know who's filling in for Tucker. Not that it matters because Tucker has this blank stare. I don't know. Watch Tucker Carlson and watch him interview somebody because they do a split camera thing where the camera stays on Tucker Carlson, especially if he's doing like a web, if he's talking to somebody over streaming or, or satellite or whatever. That person will be talking, and Tucker gets this really confused look on his face. Every time, it's like as Tucker processes information, the look on his face just gets more and more bizarre. But that's beside the point. <laughs> that's beside the point. Thomas Massey's comments uh, on Fox News, here they are. But my next guest predicts it will fail. Kentucky Republican Congressman Thomas Massey, who did not, by the way, get an invite to the White House bowling game tonight, uh, joins me now. I mean, Congressman, why not, do you think? 
I, I think maybe my bowling score is too good. <laughs> <laughs> too many strikes on your resume. Okay. That's right. So, Congressman, let's let's get to these words that you have used uh, to explain uh, how you think of this Obamacare repeal plan. Uh, let's see. It's a stinking pile of garbage. Why did you choose those words? Uh, probably because it was off the cuff and it was, I committed candor. You know, I said what I was thinking. This is a new entitlement program and uh, it's, it's just bad all around. I mean, there are a few good things about it, but we shouldn't replace one entitlement program with another. It's not a Republican conservative bill. Okay, so it was an off the cuff remark. Is that yeah. something that you're walking back at this point, to be clear? No, no it's still a stinking pile of garbage. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the details of this. Um, there are many provisions you say to this bill that you find uh, objectionable. Yeah. What mostly? The, the most objectionable thing are the monthly advanced refundable tax credits. That don't speak for a new entitlement. And you know what I just found out? That check doesn't go to you. It goes directly to the insurance companies. You know, one thing that I've maintained that this bill was written with the help of the insurance companies, just like Obamacare. That's why it looks so similar. Now, with the Medicaid expansion, I'm afraid that the way that the Republican bill deals with the Medicaid expansion sets up two perverse incentives. It will, it will encourage states to hurry up and, and uh, sign up more people on Medicaid. But the other thing it will do is it sets a tripwire in 2020, which is a presidential election year, that will enc encourage or motivate people who want to stop the repeal of Obama from taking that one last vote in 2020. And I think it's a, it's a bad uh, idea to set it up that way. That's Thomas Massey, and then there's, of course, Justin Amash. The, uh, I just gave you the trifecta of libertarianism right here, closing out with Justin Amash. That's right, and it doesn't have a constituency. Republicans don't like it, Democrats don't like it, and it seems like the only people who do like it are people in Washington and uh, maybe the insurance lobby. Uh, it seems to be kind of handled this way on the part of the House leadership, maybe the Senate leadership. Uh, this is the best we can do, just do it. What do you say to that? That's not true. They haven't tried to work with Democrats. I mean, we need to persuade Democrats to come on board with repeal and with major reforms to our health care system. But it seems like the uh, past several years, and I'm sure before that, the two parties have decided they don't want to work with each other. They don't want to try to persuade people of new positions. They just want to run roughshod over each other. And that's not what the American people want. They want us to work together. I do think repeal is the right solution here, but we need to also reform the health care system, not just uh, mask it over with this type of repackaging of Obamacare. Um, the president apparently sides with the leadership on this measure, not crazily so, but more so than, than the, any conservative criticism that's come up. Now, that could change, Congressman. But are you worried that he puts the full weight and power of his office and his personality um, and his ample persuasive powers in, 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 into prying more of congressmen to go his way? I'm not worried about it. Uh, he would be making a mistake to do so because it's going to be a failure. It takes the Obamacare framework and repackages it. It doesn't repeal. It doesn't replace. It is essentially Obamacare 2.0. So if the president wants to actually fulfill uh, campaign promises and actually put together a health care system that works, then we need to start over, and he should make that clear to members of Congress.
Now, uh, part of the measure that has been put out there right now by Speaker Ryan and others calls for all of these taxes associated with the Affordable Care Act, like the investment tax, the 3.8% surtax, the uh, wage tax, the 0.9% surtax. Together, that alone raises in excess of 30 billion bucks a year. Um, and uh, the, the issue is for them not getting rid of it now, but maybe next year. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't think that the tax issues are the main issues we need to resolve here. We need to make sure we have uh, lower health care costs for the American people. That's what people are concerned about. They're concerned about the health care system. And it's not working right now under Obamacare. And people at home are demanding that we do something else. So when I go back home, I talk to Republicans and Democrats. I hold lots of town halls. And both sides say, let's deal with health care costs. They understand the shortcomings of Obamacare. I, I'm... I can assure you Democrats at my town halls understand the shortcomings. There are aspects they might like about it, but we need to work together and persuade people to take a different position. And that is the current standing of Trump care. Top flight Republicans falling in line and then a bunch of conservative, libertarianish type of people saying, wait, wait, no, we don't like this. And something... Of that attitude of fall in line or else, Trump, as I believe, threatened uh, that if that they'll get primaried if they don't fall in line. That's just typical Trump tactics. I don't know what I don't know how to re- respond to that. But that's it for me. That's <laughs> oh man, that's a mouthful. I could have gone on to several different places today. I wanted to keep the focus mostly off of national politics, focus on local politics, but mostly just also how life throws you curves and and you have to adjust as you can. So, don't ever get discouraged. Guys, like this, share this, comment, talk with me at FritzQS on the Twitter, facebook.com slash thefritzcast and fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com I love you all, and I'll see you next week.